Man, we're going to move quick this morning. It, it was fun, the first service, and I want to have some more fun now. If you have a Bible powered on to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, or if you're old school like me, you can pull that Bible, thank you, Tom, out of the book rack in front of you. Take notes, jot them down, highlight, circle, whatever you would like. Um, like I said, we've been doing this 10-week teaching series about what it looks like to be rooted in Christ. And this morning, the passage we're studying is in Matthew chapter 6. If you're unfamiliar with the Gospel of Matthew, it's written by the disciple Matthew and on behalf of Jesus. And in chapters 5 and 6, we hear the Sermon on the Mount. Famous passage, right? Chapter 5, you get the Beatitudes and a lot of how to live your life for God. We get to chapter 6, and he brings up this particular topic that Jesus actually brings up more than any other issue in the New Testament. In fact, he talks about this issue five times as many times as he talks about faith. That's how big and important it was uh, to him, and the issue was money or finances. Now, see, when I first became a Christian, whenever I went to one of those churches that would teach a sermon series on giving your money, usually around the time that you would get uh, your tax return in late April, I always got a little sickness in the pit of my stomach. You've been there? And this morning, what I want to share with you, that God is not just concerned about how much you give to a local church or about your money in general. He's concerned about something much deeper and much more important than that. And rather than feeling like this is an issue that is adding something to our lives, what I want to share with you this morning is this is something taking away baggage and oppression that most of us live under. I want to ask you this question this morning, and this is really the heart of what we're going to talk about. What do you worry most about? Like, like in all the things that you worry about, what do you worry most about? Like some of you, you worry most about your kids or your wife or definitely about your husband or about your house. Some of you worry about your cars. You weren't sure you were going to make it here this morning. Some of you, you worry about your job and your boss and your career. Some of you worry about whether or not your kid is going to win that trophy this afternoon. Some of you are worried about whether you're going to check your kids out of Mercy Kids fast enough that you can get to the free lunch at Steak and Shake line before everyone else. Some of you worry a lot. Some of you, you're like sitting here and you can't turn your brain off. You're worried, is it too cold in here? Is it too hot in here? Why do they have the baptism full of water this morning? What are they going to do? Am I going to feel uncomfortable? What's she thinking? What's he thinking? Well, who's that look about? I saw one of you turn my back. What are you doing? You been there? Some of you, you worry so much you cannot sit still. You're constantly doing it. You got to pick up your phone. Did somebody text me in the last five seconds? Is there a new, new Facebook post? Did somebody Snapchat me? What am I going to do? I got to figure this out really quickly. Why didn't they Snapchat me? Are they thinking thing, bad things about me? Is something going to happen to me? Do they not love me? Am I going to die tomorrow? What's wrong? Am I going to die alone? Why didn't anybody love me? And you can take anything and you can blow it up to this big issue that you just obsess over. You see, money is just one of the many issues that God talks about in the Old and New Testament that he wants you to understand you need to stop worrying so much. Some of us, it's like the day we were born, we woke up and we were worried about what was going to happen next to us, right? Like Eric Maitland, I've got a, this is what Eric looked like when he was one year old. That's how he... (laughs) 
He came out. He was just like that from the first day. <laughs> That's not actually Eric. Eric would have definitely fit in that wagon, but... <laughs> Sorry, I get one in there. I know it's mom's here today. <laughs> like some of you just born like that. You worry, worry, worry about everything. And what I want to share with you this morning is that whether it's money or anything else in your life, or your marriage or your finances, I mentioned the significant marriage coming up next week. Man, it is a powerful thing. It's not too late to sign up for that. Info is in your program. Do that. We need, as Christians, to understand this passage a little bit better. And here is what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 25a. And we're going to read through the end of the chapter by the end of this. You see, in verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, moths and vermin, or you've heard rust, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy. You often heard this said before, you never see a U-Haul behind the hearse, you're not taking it with you. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, for your treasure is, where your treasure is, there your what? Heart. Underline, circle, highlight, whatever you got to do there. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then there's these two weird verses. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? We're going to make sense of that this morning. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I want you to highlight that word there, money, circle it. We'll talk later on. Uh, all of this is written in Greek. That word, the author chose to write an Aramaic word instead of a Greek word because he wanted to highlight the meaning of it. It does mean money. It also means a bit more than that. Therefore, I tell you, here's the key part, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear is not life more than food and body more than clothes. Will you pray with me? God, we just pause for a second and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here with us right now. And we've all come into the space with different expectations. Some of us, maybe a friend invited us this morning. Maybe for some of us, we haven't been in a space like this in a really long time. Other people in this room recently gave their life to you, Jesus, and have just started the journey of following you. Some of this room have been living for you for a long time. Some have even been doing ministry on the front lines for decades. God, we all struggle with this issue. Please speak to us, to our hearts, right where we're at. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. I can remember when I was about six or seven years old, and my mom sent me to the store for the first time by myself. Now, what kind of mom sends a six-year-old to the store by themselves? But that's beside the point. My mom's here somewhere, so I had to get a dig in. Where, mom, where you at? Where you at? There she is. Raise her hand. Everybody see her. She's the tall one in the back there. But 
she sent me to the store and said, hey, I want you to pick up some things. And I picked up the things that she wanted. And on the way out, something caught my eye. To a six or seven-year-old, I saw the gumball machine, and it kind of all of a sudden lit up my face. And I knew I, I had to have one. You been there? I walked by the gumball, and I was like, I just, I've got to have one so bad. So I did anything. I took my mom's money. I went over. I put 25 cents into the gumball machine. I cranked that thing, and I was waiting for the purple or the red that came out. And of course, it's always white. If I wanted to chew chalk, I just would have bought chalk. But I took the white gumball. I chewed it for the five-minute walk. I went home, and I quickly threw it away, so mom didn't see it. I showed her. And you see where this is going. She looks at the receipt. She looks at the change. She says, Josh, we have a problem here. 25 cents are missing. And I had to confess what I had done. Mom, you don't understand. Like, I needed it. I needed it. I got to have it. You been there? You see that new thing? You just need it. You got to have it. I want it. I want it. You don't understand, mom. Like my life is going to be ruined if I do not have this. I will no longer be able to raise our children, honey, unless I have this. Like I need it that bad. It wasn't just a few years later that I remember I finally, my parents were trying to teach me good ethics, I guess, and I saved up my money for a while so I could go buy, uh, about 11 or 12 years old, a Chicago Bulls basketball I don't know if it was signed by Jordan himself, but it might as well have been because I was super excited to go show my skills on the court with it. However, I got to the cash register and I was a couple dollars short. And the lady felt so bad for me. She said, ah, just take it. So I took it and I went home and I started playing with it. My mom again, hey, let me see that receipt. She said, you were a few dollars short. It's okay. She said I could take it, Mom. She made me work for it, go back, and pay the rest of that. What is it about a child, we can see it, that he sees the gumball machine or the fancy new toy, and they just got to have it, got to have it, and we say, oh, you need to grow up and understand, and then we as adults, we as adults, our toys are a little more expensive, right? And, and so some of us, we think that God is trying to prevent me from having all the fun with the toys that I really want to have in my life. And we haven't really read the New Testament and understood the way Jesus talked about these things. The almighty God that created the heaven and the earth and everything in it, knitted you together in your mother's womb, knows every hair on your head. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need it. And we've missed the greater underlying point of what's at stake whether it's our money or our dating lives or the next step in our career, we're always looking forward to what we need next. And when God doesn't give us what we want next, we're going to make it happen. And so what's really at stake is whether or not the next step in the choices I make in my life, am I really going to believe that God has the best for me or do I know better than him? And most of us, myself included, and I'll give you an example later this morning, we often think we know the best way a lot better. And what's really at stake is trust, that we're worrying about what's next. Are we going to find that special someone? Are they going to get that next career step that we want? And if we don't get it, then I'm going to go out and I don't care if I have to do something unethical or lie or talk behind somebody's back, I'm going to do it because I want that promotion. If I don't find somebody to love me, I'm going to find the first person that loves me. I don't care if I have to honor God. I'm just going to go jump right into intimacy because I'm telling you, I don't want to be alone. 
right? This is what it looks like when we wrestle with the greater issue that is going on here. So here's what I want to do. Uh, Just these six verses in Matthew 6, I want to study them together, and I tried to come up with a really subtle sermon title of what Jesus is talking about, and I came up with, stop worrying about your money. Is that subtle enough for you? Like, I need to, like, have that screamed at me sometimes. Stop worrying about your money. If you don't like it, don't blame me. Jesus is the one that says it in this passage in Matthew chapter 6. And here is what he says. I'm going to give you just a few simple points that he talks about. We're going to wrestle together. It's going to be fun. The first one is this. Our treasure displays our true heart. Right? That's The verse is there. I mean, that's pretty clear. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where that is stolen or destroyed, but store up in heaven where it can't be stolen or destroyed. You don't see the U-Haul behind the hearse. But then he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 21 and says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. Now the interesting thing here, the word heart in Greek is cardia. For you fitness people out there, it's where we get like cardio from. Cardia means heart, and it means literally to get to the attention or the commitment of. You see, in ancient Near East culture, the heart was used as a metaphor. They're not talking about your actual organ. It was used as a metaphor for your inner being, of where your commitment and your attention went. Donald Hagner, a scholar, says this, where a person's treasures are, there also will be your heart. This is the main point of these verses in 19 to 21. The main and central organ of the body is a well-known metaphor for the center of a person's inner being and thus the center of a person's attention and commitment. So if we made a list of where your, uh, your central commitment and attention is, what would show up on that? See, here's how much Jesus talked about it. It's not the first time in the Sermon on the Mount that he has mentioned this. If you go to Matthew 5, verse 8, he has said, Blessed are the pure in heart, cardia, for what? They will see God. Isn't that what you really want is to see? I mean, if you're a Christian, you want to see God show up in your life. Make himself apparent. Use the short time you have on this planet to do something that matters. He says, blessed are the pure in their cardia, in their heart, because their commitment and attention is on God. Verse 28, he says in Matthew 5, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, it's about the attention and commitment. See, I've heard people, when they talk about this word we use in church, uh, tithe, it means 10%. We'll talk about that in a moment. And we use that term. I've heard people say, well, that was an Old Testament practice that they did. And then in the New Testament, it doesn't mention that. Totally true. See, first of all, in the Old Testament, it wasn't that they just gave the first 10%. They, they put the first 10% of their livestock and all of their produce, So God is yours, do what you want with it. And then they said, anything else, all the sacrifices every had, I had to honor God in that area of my life. So the average Israelite might give up to 20 to 30% of what they've been given. Isn't that insane? And see, when we look at the Old Testament, what did Jesus say about adultery in the Old Testament? It was one of the Ten Commandments. He said... Don't commit adultery. Don't do it. It's bad. We get to the New Testament. He doesn't just say, verse 28 in Matthew 5, don't commit adultery. He says, if you look lustfully at a woman, you commit adultery with your heart. See, God is concerned about protecting your inner being. 
that you're actually hearing from him, knowing him, and living with him. There is a whole lot more at stake than your money. Your time, your talents, and your treasures demonstrate where your commitment and attention are. See, here's the scary thing. Like, if I take those three areas and I wrote down on the back of a Connect card and I assessed each of those, every single one of us would have one of them where we're like, I don't like to give that up. Right? Because it's important to us. No, no fingers pointed. I'm being honest. Like, my, my time, I do not like to give up my time to things that aren't fun. I don't. I'm working during the day. When I go home, I want to do fun things. Every single one of us, when it comes to actually seeing God show up on our lives, we want to be pure in heart. It takes us being willing to say, whatever my, uh, my time, talents, and treasures are going, that demonstrates where my commitment and attention are. Does anybody have a $20 bill here this morning? We'll go easy on this service. Anybody? Okay, firsthand. Mike, come on up here. Welcome him as he comes up. Yes. Yes. Really glad that you are here. So thankful you came to church today. One more time, can we thank him for being here this morning? He's very generous of him to come. Stay up here for a second. I'll hold on to it for just a second. Like, I mean, that's very nice of Mike to give me his hard-earned money. And so I just want to, I want to honor him back. And uh, that won't help. Let me see here. I've got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to honor, you know, you gave me a 20. And so I want to give you uh, two back and give you your 10% back. Uh, one more time, can we thank him for coming with us this morning? <laughs> How does that make you feel? Fantastic, because you're at church, you have to say that. So stay right there for just a second. I'm going to come over here. Now that he has his $2 and I have my $20, I'm feeling pretty good about this exchange. See, the, the thing is that what the Bible teaches is God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, everything in it. The Bible teaches in the Old Testament that I said it before, he knitted you together in your mother's womb. He is the author and perfecter of life. Like at any moment, I could be stricken with illness. I could fall off the stage and crack my head and no longer be able to do the very things that I'm doing now. And the same could be true for you. We don't know how many years we get on this planet. I went to a uh, viewing this weekend. A 51-year-old. And man, I just, I don't tell you that to scare anybody. Like, I'm sharing, like, we all have a fleeting time together. And so God's point is not that he needs your $2 back, right? He's almighty God creator of the world. He doesn't need anything from you. What he's concerned about is he wants to honor, he wants you to honor him and trust him that he is going to provide, that you will be able to do more with 90% than you could have with 100 because he's actually involved in your life. Can you thank Mike for being up here? And I'm going to give you, you can keep the two and your 20 back. No, no, here's the deal. This is very special this morning. You also get this, uh, a little prize for, you know, standing up here and feeling awkward. But it, you... You have to use the now $8. It's all the cash I had on me. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. And you have to use that today. Being generous with you, you got to be generous with somebody else. E email us at info at mercyroad.cc and tell us uh, how you use that funds. Cool. Last service, they got a 10, so. Here's the thing. Like, th th 
there is a lot more at stake here. Like God is just wanting us, me, us, to understand what it's like to trust him in some areas. Rather than spending the whole time teaching on what tithing was, I wanted to do run through really quickly. This is from Craig Rochelle, a great pastor. He writes these things about what tithing actually is because some of the Christians in the room, you're very familiar with this. Those of you who are newer to the face, you may may not be familiar with this. What is tithing? The the Hebrew word was ma'aser, and it means to tithe or literally 10%. So it literally is the first 10, not the last, and so it was trusting God was going to provide. They would give up the first 10 of their crops in the spring harvest and trust that God was going to get them to the fall harvest. And then in the fall harvest, they would do it again and trust that God was going to get them through the wintertime. There was this act of trusting that God was actually going to show up. He writes, tithing is returning the first 10% of our income to God's church. Number two, tithing is uh, giving God my first and best so he can bless the rest from Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. So why tithe? I told you you're moving fast. If you're keeping notes, do it quickly. Why tithe? Number one, he writes, tithing provides for God's work through the church. Malachi 3.10. Tithing teaches me to put God first. Deuteronomy 14.23. Tithing builds my faith in God. Malachi 3.10b. There there are, are those reasons That is what it is. Many of us, we think, well, I give a little bit and I'm generous in that way. The biblical understanding was it was more about trusting God with the first 10% and then anything above and beyond that, like how can I see the kingdom of God advanced? How can I help those needs any way I possibly can? We shared our church, we have this goal within 10 years to give away 50%. Like that is just very few churches that don't have millions and millions and millions of dollars are able to pull that off. And we have set that goal because we want you to know we, every time somebody is going to live on mission, we want to help those people do that. We want to meet needs and not just add nice things to a building. I think that's important for us as Christians to understand. See, the second point I want to make this morning is that what our eyes lust for dictates the conditions of our lives. What our eyes lust for dictates the condition of our lives. See, there was this weird two verses in verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if they're unhealthy, they'll be full of darkness. Literally, what it's referring to here is that if we lust, whatever we lust after with our eyes is what eventually we will uh, see replicated in our lives. So if we lust to acquire whatever that next new thing is, we will always be a slave to whatever that is. We'll end up being a slave to the debt in our lives. We will serve money. Money won't serve us. And so many Americans in our culture today, they live that way. But let's be honest, this isn't easy or we wouldn't be talking about it. Right? It's not just the lust of the eyes within your money. It's like when I want that next relationship, I got to have it. When I want that next career move, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to make it happen no matter who I hurt. The lust of the eyes can dictate very bad conditions for us. Um, I'm going to confess something to you, and this is not easy for me to confess because my wife's on the front row, and I know she wasn't happy about this, so I'm going to share it with you anyway. I believe we should be honest. Anybody have the Facebook app on your phone? Did you notice that they added that marketplace part of the app to your phone. Anybody notice that? Like you didn't need to be confronted enough with there's more stuff that you can buy out there. So like the app came up and I have it on my phone and the new addition to it, I clicked on it and suddenly I saw it, uh, some old baseball cards in somebody's garage that I just, I had to have them. 
I had, like, I had to. Like, if I didn't, I wasn't sure I could be a father anymore. <laughs> and so I messaged the person, and I didn't have any time to do this, but I drove over to their house, and I was going to try and buy $20 worth of baseball cards out of his garage. And then I bought them, and I was like, you know what? You got more baseball cards. I think I need some more. I need some more of these. Like, I got, I got and before I, I walked out of there with $100 worth of baseball cards, my wife wanted to physically harm me. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I felt so good. Last night, I went to uh, the night at Morocco, which was amazing, amazing. Um, and got to hear uh, some people really doing some cool stuff. And I've got to see Horizon International, um, where they're helping African AIDS orphans. And I've got to see all these other ministries where people are risking everything to help those in need, to share, to, to make a difference with their lives. And I got a little convicted, like, man, those $100 of baseball cards, I just, I gotta have it, and we justify it, don't we? Like, I deserve this, my birthday's coming up, who knows if they'll get me a good gift, I'll get my own gift this year, and like, <laughs> right? Like, you totally do it! And instead, what does it look like to not have our eyes lust to whatever's next in life and think, I got to have this, but instead lust for or, or have zeal for actually seeing God in our lives and seeing him show up? See, the Bible actually says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, both here and in heaven, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. That often in those moments where the lust of the eyes or the lust of the flesh or whatever it is in your life, that just, I gotta have... What does it look like to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith? Look, I'm not telling you you can't have fun and go do nice things or buy toys. I'm not telling you you can't do that. But if we aren't honoring God and seeing him show up in our lives, are we really fixing our eyes on the one thing that's gonna matter when we spend eternity with him? He goes on in that verse, I think it's interesting, and he says this, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. You see, when you fix your eyes on what God wants for your life, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have to sacrifice. Jesus demonstrated the, the depth of his sacrifice, that he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and what? Lose heart. Like, I think God is concerned a lot more about our cardia than where we spend our cash. He wants to see that we actually are going to allow him to show up. You see, we talked a couple of weeks ago about our spiritual enemy, the, the Hasatan in the Old Testament, or the devil, as Jesus refers to him as. But it's not just our spiritual enemy that is out there. The Bible clearly defines another enemy. You know who it is? It's you and it's me. That's why repeatedly throughout the New Testament, guys like Paul are going in Galatians 2.20, for I have died and no longer live, but the life I live is through faith in the Son of God. Because he gets, he actually has to die to himself. If he wants to fix his eyes on Jesus and see him show up, there has to be this death to himself. Then now he says, I, I want to see you show up in my life. Make me pure of heart, God. He's not, he doesn't need your money. He doesn't need anything from you. But he desires your heart. 
That is the gist of what Jesus is referring to here. The Christian who sees God use their lives powerfully have actually had zeal for God, not just money. The third and final point, which master we choose determines which master we serve. Which master we choose determines which master we serve. And I think we have a good master to serve. Would you agree? See, in verse 24, it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I mentioned that the word money there, it's actually an Aramaic word, and the word is mammon. And it meant money, yes, and more accurately meant wealth. And what it really represented for the Hebrew people was comfort. Comfort. And so he says, well, not that God doesn't want to bring you comfort when you are sick. He definitely does. He definitely does. He is a God of comfort. But when you are concerned, your desires are only for your personal wealth and comfort. You have flipped the script on the version of your life that God desires for you. You see, most of us, most of us in our lives, we think of money like this. Money, money for Christians should serve us as we serve God. That's what it should look like, right? Right? Money should serve us as we serve God. Unfortunately, for most of us in our lives today, we usually get it backwards that God serves us as we serve money. Right? Like this, I, I'm not pointing any fingers. Like I just know me. Like, I, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like take out any loan I need to. I need this thing. I gotta have it. I'm gonna serve money. And then when I need some help, God, it's time. Show up. I went to service at Creaster last year. It's time for you to kick it in. Right? Like, you forgot about those 12 services in a row I went to. I really served you. Read my Bible four times this week. Time for you to give me what I want. Rather than we serve God and money serves us. Rather than doing what most Americans do and living on credit card debt and, and not being a good steward with the resources he has entrusted us with. And so most of us get that and we feel overwhelmed, don't we? We feel overwhelmed like we could never be one of those people that actually sees freedom happen in this area of our lives. And we think that someday when I hit the lottery, then it's all going to happen. And we've missed the point. It's about our heart. And he literally, I believe here in this passage, this isn't about money, it's about our master. God doesn't want us to be ruled by anything. He doesn't want you to be a slave to your money anymore. He doesn't want you to be a slave to being powerful or popular or what people think about you or desire from you. He doesn't want you to be enslaved or oppressed by your drug or alcohol addiction. He doesn't want you to be enslaved by the mistakes you made in your dating life or in your marriage that is failing or has failed. He doesn't want you to be a slave to the poor dating habits you continue to do or your poor eating habits or our lethargia that comes from our lack of exercise. He doesn't want us to be enslaved by anything. We have one master and it's him. See, when we get that, rather than this feeling of like, oh, I got to be more obedient so God loves me more, we realize he loves me no matter what, and I want to serve my good master, and the way I do it is just by honoring him in ways that he asked me to because he knows better than I do. Like, that's not easy, that's hard, but it's way better life because you no longer have to be sitting there. How we, how we got to pay this next thing? I got to make this next thing happen. Oh, I got to go get a third job to make sure I got covered. Like, I'm not telling you to take things wisely. You got to do it. Be a good steward of what God has entrusted you with. But you can take all of that pressure off of your shoulders and place it onto his. 
And most of us live in fear of doing that in any area of our lives. Whatever that next step we want, I just don't want to do that because what if he doesn't come through for me? And yet that's the Christian walk of faith, isn't it? He wants to be your only master because when he isn't, that leaves you and me in charge of everything and that's exhausting. And that brings worry and shame and embarrassment and feeling like we're not good enough. And so here's what he encouraged those people 2,000 years ago about in verses 25 through the end of the chapter in Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes, seeing how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, the, the richest king in Israelite history, in all his splendor was dressed like one of these if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear or what shall we uh, drink? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Not because you give a little bit of money so that he's going to give you a whole lot more. I don't believe in that health and wealth garbage. I believe that as we honor God, he will honor us back. And sometimes he blesses people who bless him financially. He blesses you back because he knows you're going to use it wisely. And sometimes he blesses you spiritually back. And sometimes God calls some people to a life of poverty their entire life, but you are more spiritually wealthy than anyone else in the room. That's what it looks like to honor God in this area, to see him show up. He says, seek first his kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. It causes some people to take all their inheritance, buy a plot of land in a different part of the world and believe that God is gonna use them to minister to an unreached people group. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We can stop the worrying and the fretting and the anxiety, and you're saying, oh, that's just too easy. Look, it's simple, but it's hard because that has to, you have to actually fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith and trust that he is gonna show up for you. And we close this out. I just wanna tell you personally, over the last five or more years of my life, this is the one area God has built my faith the most in. When I first became a Christian, I thought when I would go to churches and they talked about money, I couldn't stand it. I literally would get up and walk out of the room. And I want to tell you, uh, from planting the church and we started this church, we needed $25,000 for equipment to get it off the ground. We were weeks away from launching at the school. We didn't have the money. And we began to pray and we heard about a scholarship down in Florida for $20,000. We went down there, we won the scholarship, we came back, we matched it with another 20,000. We now had 40,000 instead of 25,000, and we had more than enough to launch the church with. When we struggled in different areas, we would literally see people give hundreds of dollars at one time that we weren't sure how we were gonna get through without it. I have seen God, and I share this, not because I'm great, but because God is. I wanna tell you that God is faithful. 
My wife and I have got to see over the last six years of our lives what it looks like to give more money away than we ever thought possible. And what that has done to us is not make us feel like we're really good at this. It's made us go, God's real. Like, it's so rewarding because you don't have to say, like, you're like, I didn't know how that was going to happen. And, and it happened again. Like, you came through. And if we don't have that in our lives, it is impossible for us if we're not pure of heart in all areas of clean, to actually see him show up. And so I just want to encourage you and to challenge you to prayerfully consider beginning to honor God in this area of your life. And whether it's your finances or your dating life or your marriage or whatever it is you got your hang up right now, to actually believe that he can come through for you and you can stop worrying about it. That's my desire for you. In your program, you should find a little card like this that says the 90-day challenge. We're trying something we've never tried before, and it may be like our worst idea ever. Maybe be a horrible, horrible idea. I don't know, or it may, I think it's probably the best idea we've ever had. But I got the operations team to approve this, that we're going to try something. If you want to honor God in this area of your life, you want to say that first 10% is yours for the next 90 days, if you fill out one of these cards and you have proof of this, then we will, uh, at the end of 90 days, if you're like, uh, Pastor, that was the worst idea I've ever had. You're a horrible financial advisor. I never want to see you or talk to you again. We will give you your money back. All of it. Like, we, I'm not after any of your money, neither is this church. If you want to fill this card out and you're like, I'm not even going to give it to the church, I'm going to give it to another organization because I don't trust you guys, that's Okay. I want to hear that. We have plenty of opportunities. We're starting a church planning network. We're trying to give away more money than ever before. We got these huge goals. Uh, the church has definitely used the resources, but you don't, you want to give it somewhere else, do it because it's not about giving money to some organization. It's about the freedom you have when you trust that God is going to show up in your life and do more with 90 than with 100. And so I just ask you, man, maybe this is a moment for some, somebody in the room where you say, I'm going to start trusting God in all areas, including this one. Courage, you fill that out and you drop it in the basket at the end of the service. But finally, here's the deal. Money stuff aside, some of us in the room, we're not even there yet. And we, we struggle with trusting God at all, including with our salvation and eternity in heaven. And I want to encourage you this morning if that is you, the God that we serve, the good and faithful master, after serving him for almost 20 years, I want to tell you it is the best decision I ever made in my life. And I have seen him show up time and time again, and I desire for you to experience that. And so if you are here and you want to trust God for the first time, I want to give you that opportunity. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you as imperfect people that have messed up lives. But we know you the perfecter of our faith. And so some of us this morning, you have been challenging us to where we find our trust in this life in. And some of us, for the first time, we need to find our full, full trust in you. And we don't know how to do it, but we want to take that first step this morning. If that is you, I, man, I invite you, man, do not be ashamed of the good news of Jesus. Pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I am not perfect, Forgive me for my mistakes because of your death and resurrection. I believe I can trust you with my life here and eternally. And so I surrender it to you, to your lordship. I give it all to you, Jesus. Everything in my life, use me 
forever and always. God, you see the, the people in this room right now that are praying that prayer and really mean it. And if that was you with every head bowed and eyes closed, I want you to just raise your hand for a second. I didn't do this at the first service, but I feel like I need to at this service. Okay, I see you, um, my, the three of you on my right over here, man. And the person in the back on my left, the four of you, I see each of your hands. I want you guys, I want to pray with you. God, there are different reasons that people have raised their hand right now and prayed that prayer. God, we know that you are the God of the miraculous, and I pray that changed life comes from this, God, and that we can learn to honor you in any area. But God, man, honor this decision. Help them to take those next steps of faith and trust you in everything. We love you, we give you this church, and we worship you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.